right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I'm your host, Cameron Ivey, and with me as always, Gabe Gums. Today we have Mr. Jeff Horn, CSO at Order. Jeff, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Um, so if you want to start out the show with just telling us a little bit about yourself and the, the listeners, we want to know where you came from and, and how you got to where you are. Perfect. Um, so I, I got started in computers early. Um, I was about 13 when uh, I really got into computers. And the first computer I had was a 486-66DX2 that was a piece of garbage um, that I was always putting back together. Um, but one of the things that got me into reverse engineering was video games. And so I was always uh, manipulating. I, I found it fascinating that I could like manipulate the memory in a video game to give me more gold coins and Diablo two or something. And so that was kind of my first uh, journey into messing with memory addresses and, you know, just, just, not necessarily just system internals, but application and memory internal internals and, and CPU architectures. And uh, so, yeah, from a career perspective, I was, I was hired out of high school, surprisingly, um, uh, from internet security systems. So I went and worked there in Atlanta. Um, I started as a developer writing uh, installers for um, mostly Windows and Solaris apps. And then I started in the vulnerability research department and exploit uh, writing department. So uh, it was called X-Force at the time, and it was really fun. Uh, I was mostly doing like patch differentials and things like that in order to, you know, basically make exploits work on, you know, different patch levels of operating systems. And internet security systems uh, went out and tried to buy or did buy a antivirus. And it was a behavioral-based antivirus and before they purchased it, they had me essentially reverse engineer every antivirus on the market. And I just learned so much about how, you know, file detection works, memory detection works. It was, it was a huge thing for me. So I actually took that knowledge and then went uh, and moved to Boulder, Colorado, where I was the uh, director of advanced research for Webroot software. And I took their SpySweeper product and, put some AV detection functionality in it and really bolstered that, that product. That led me into doing a lot of malware reverse engineering and, and leading a reverse engineering team there. And then that led my career into incident response. So I, was a, I started the incident response practice at Acuvant and then uh, also had the advanced research team underneath me as well. Um, and they did vulnerability analysis and exploit creation. And yeah, I, as an incident responder in kind of the heyday, um, I was reverse engineering malware on site. I had a great team behind me and uh, I was doing a lot of interim CISO work. So a lot of the companies didn't have, either they did have a security person or they just didn't have a security person, um, you know, that could talk to the, the, the executive staff in a way where it's like, hey, here's what you need to do during a breach in an incident. So that gave me a lot of experience in the, in the CISO role. And, you know, really, I was, I was bumping up against the edge of my skills from a reverse engineer perspective. I always loved, you know, vulnerability analysis and exploitation, but it changed so much from, 
you know, the nineties when you were smashing the stack and doing format string vulnerabilities. And now you're doing something so specific on, you know, an application that has, you know, it's, it's own heat memory utilization um, baked into it and sandbox escapes and things. So I made the decision to go the, the executive route. And um, I then uh, changed positions to be the head of security, a CISO for SpaceX and that was really fun. I was there for the first landing and worked on the Falcon Heavy project. That's uh, awesome. And moved back to Denver and was the CISO of Optive Security, which Acuvant had become after merging with Fishnet. And then after doing that for about three years, I was a CIO CISO of a small defense contracting firm that worked specifically with the United States intelligence community, working on exploits and malware capabilities and uh, and yeah, then moved on to order as the chief security officer protecting IOT devices. So I got a question. Yeah. Does, does the SpaceX Falcon have an overdrive button like your DX66 did? Cause I miss my overdrive <laughs> button. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, like one of the things that uh, um, was really fun at SpaceX is we had a button that, um, it was called the automated flight termination system. Or sorry, we had a flight termination system that was given to the Air Force. And one of the first things that we had to do was take that button away from the Air Force. They've all <laughs> So like the rocket has C4 ordinates inside of it. So if it starts turning sideways and pointing towards grandma's house and gonna kill a neighborhood, that Air Force person can pull the red key and hit the button and blow it up. Um, but, uh, yeah, we created a, uh, automated flight termination system and took that button away from the air force. And so that was kind of the overdrive button in the sense of if the telemetry got any sort of messed up or we had to prove that we could survive, uh, GPS jamming signals. Um, cause that's a real common thing with, uh, with launches out of the United States, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, that. Ship turns sideways, it blows itself up. But taking that button away from the Air Force was a big deal. So let me also add before we keep going any further that I should apologize. Um, I didn't realize how much our pads actually have crossed. Uh, but I was I was an early ISS customer and I love the X-Force and all the work you guys did. And uh, as an early customer, I may or may not have put you, your folks through some of the paces. Oh yeah. Uh, I worked for a large pharma company at the time and, and I bought a significant number of devices that you guys produce pretty early on. And some of them were, you know, as early technology goes, yeah, you put them through the paces, you put them in a big environment. I may have given you guys hell for a year or two, but, but, I, but I wrote some significantly large checks in return. So, <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, I worked predominantly on the real secure product. Yeah. Uh, uh, bread and butter. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a great product. And in fact, that, that was, yeah, no, I, I remember it intimately. Some components of it did make its way into the IPS as well, too. Um, I only know that because I was I was literally smashing Matchstack on the backside. And I'm going, wait a second, why are there real secure binaries inside of this box? You guys did not like giving out root, and I don't know how I convinced someone to do it, but nonetheless. I still have real secure, like, I still have uh, the main real secure build system in my house. Wow. Laris 2.6. But, I mean, I believe it. Considering there's a phone, a, a, a telephone behind you, I definitely believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I had that all of my old hardware. I had a, I had a ton of old hardware when I moved from Atlanta to uh, 
um, to Denver. Uh, and I mean, I, I had Vax, Vax VMS machines. I had, um, yeah, video toasters, you name it. Wow. So tell the folks about order. O-R-D-R? What, 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 so what is order? What do, you, what, do you, what do you do there? What does order do? Gotcha. So I am the chief security officer there. So I have both CISO responsibilities, but then also product uh, responsibilities in the way of um, doing protection and detection mechanisms for the product. But really what order does is it is a device that you can put into a span or tap mode that passively listens to the network and then gathers all of the connections um, uh, through span or tap and does device discovery on all of the transactions. So it tries to determine an IP, like layer two, layer three. So an IP and Mac with this type of communication chain means that it is a a Vigilon camera. And so one of the really cool things is IOT devices, or we we have a lot of medical uh, medical customers as well. So like IOMT devices, they're communications are extremely deterministic. So, you know, in that regard, you can apply almost the basic level AI or machine learning, sorry, in order to um, really start categorizing things as like, hey, this looks like a camera, this looks like an MRI machine. And that's exactly what order has done. So, you know, not necessarily just for medical equipment, but um, for millions of devices, we have classifiers that just passively over the wire can identify, you know, um, some OT devices, uh, point of sale devices, cameras, uh, you name it. If it communicates on the network, we probably have a, uh, a device classification for it. And I guess the real play is first building a real-time asset inventory because that's, I mean, you can't protect what you can't see. And you can't manage what you don't know about. So building that real-time asset inventory, I think, is is kind of the the foundation of the product. But being able to apply um, micro-segmentation rules to particularly IoT devices is kind of that, that real sweet spot in the sense that, you know, somebody brings in an iPhone that doesn't meet, you know, certain security parameters, you can isolate that into a, you know, guest network that that only talks to the internet. And subsequently, if you've, you know, you've got 30, you know, a a Vigilon cameras, and you bring a new one into the facility to look down a new hallway, being able to identify that in real time passively, and then apply the same segmentation rules. So those things aren't open to the you know, wide network, they're on their own segregated VLAN or subnet is, is, is really important from like a IOT protection story. But yeah, you got to get classification right. And I, I will also just add that from a, from a scan versus passive perspective, I mean, you, you know this, Gabe, with the history of, uh, of internet security systems and internet scanner, some of these devices, if you hit them with just even the... Oh, they're going down. <laughs> well, if you hit them with just the simplest scan, they just might fall over. Yeah, yeah. And so being able to do this passively over the, the network is is absolutely key. Yeah, I, and I, I also don't want you, I mean, you mentioned like, you know, medical devices. I, I don't want you passively scanning anything while I'm, yeah, a medical device at all. Don't, don't, don't do that. Is there a reason that IoT devices are so deterministic? Is that by design or is it just another one of those things where, so many of the 
let's just call them issues for lack of a better word with IoT is an afterthought because most of the engineering is put into the primary function and not things like securing the device. I would absolutely agree with that. I mean, it's they, they usually only have one or two functions um, and even the larger devices like, you know, I'm going to pick on medical devices again, but, you know, like $250,000 CAT scan and MRI machines, they have centralized servers that you deploy in the network to just communicate back and forth to. And luckily, um, you know, right now those communications are not encrypted and they're passing back serial numbers, firmware update versions. Um, but if you extend that to something like an at-home device, like your ring camera that might be on your outside of your house, that's really just talking to an internal router and then um, an Amazon web service uh, that usually has a, a ring FQDN. You use the word luckily not encrypted. Luckily for you. <laughs> Quite luckily for you indeed. There's, this is a privacy show, obviously. So we talk a lot of privacy and medical devices. Uh, no two ways about it. Like I can see the instant connection between you know the type of, of private information that one might get from you know say walking down to to a local healthcare facility and and even just sitting in the parking lot and jumping on their Wi-Fi and passively seeing a bunch of unencrypted traffic with with data on it. Um, but what what other types of of privacy issues do you see kind of arise from that afterthought of IoT security? Well, you know, I would say from a hospital perspective, we just did a year-long study just to figure out what's inside of hospitals. And there were a lot of stuff that you just like, it would it surprised me. I mean, we saw a lot of um, Amazon Echoes, the Alexas. And when we reached out and asked why they're there, um, it was usually to play music. And they didn't realize that they had Amazon accounts tied to them. So, you know, in some cases, people wow. walk right up and start ordering, you know, a couple of <laughs> a couple <laughs> Starbucks on um, a lot of Tesla's. So Tesla's started just becoming a thing. And, you know, that's one thing when you give a, you know, give employees access to both the guest and the corporate network, corporate networks typically faster and people are connecting their Tesla's to the corporate network. Um, and then also just from a, just IOT device in general, we were seeing a lot of uh, layer three adjacent devices that probably shouldn't be on there. Things like a vending machine that's on the same network as healthcare um, devices or that the, um, you know, guest Wi-Fi had, you know, medical devices on it. So just, you know, just lack of knowledge in terms of, of you know, where those devices were positioned or connected in the network. But I will say just from a user perspective, a lot of these, a lot of these people just don't realize that when we talk about IoT devices, and I get like that that's a nebulous term, that we now have devices that are just essentially computers now. I think a really good analogy of that is, is the television. Um, you know, one of the things I see in almost every boardroom is a television. And that television is probably, you know, from a boardroom perspective, we probably had televisions in United States boardrooms since probably the late 70s. But they've graduated between CRTs to LCDs. But now these things are just computers that are 65 inches, you know, diagonally and, you know, running Linux and have web services attached to them and SMB and FTP uh, services running on them. It's, it's insane. And there's just not that linkage between us saying, hey, this 
coffee maker or toaster is now a full-fledged computer. Um, and, you know, we're, we're just, we're seeing that all over the place as, as equipment is replaced. Is there a legitimate reason for my toaster to be on the network? I mean, again, from a privacy perspective, like it's, I, I get the convenience version of it, but do I really need to have this many interconnected devices on the network? I would argue no. I mean, I, I, I love devices, right? And I'm a techno guy. Like I love, you know, getting the new stuff, but I mean, you know, if I have to install an app on my phone to figure out when my toast, is, <laughs> I just, that's, that's too much data passing for me. Like I can just look with my eyes. We're talking about people that, that literally want to go completely like app crazy inside their home. I mean, if you need an app for your toaster, <laughs> you might need, you might need to look elsewhere for some help. <laughs> well, we, I, I have a, I have an order sensor here at home and I plugged it in and I've got, you know, I've got a bunch of devices and I played a little game with myself where I was like, how many devices do I have really? And so Ubiquity network here. And I look at my DHCP leases. um, But there was a big differential. I, I thought that I had between 55 and 60 devices and I actually had 73 devices in my network. And where were the other 20 odd hiding? So, uh, I mean, a couple of them, uh, I've got some Kindles that are just laying around that we like, we upgraded Kindles. Uh, 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 and I, I, I went on and I actually powered them on. Um, I had a, a Samsung gear watch that I haven't worn in like four years that was sitting in a closet. Um, but yeah, there was, there was definitely um, a difference between what had a DHCP lease at the time of me looking at it and then devices that just periodically come in, grab an IP address, send some information out and then go silent. I have a Samsung television downstairs that actually has two Wi-Fi radios in it. And I think that has to do with the Chromecast um, integration that it has. But yeah, I mean, I I just didn't know that my my, uh, television had two radios in it. And that took me a little bit to figure out. That's got to be concerning, you know, with that being eye-opening for someone with your background compared to people that are just normal. I, I mean, I, I am kind of really into, I, I will say that, that that spooked me a little bit just in the sense of like how many devices did I have in my network that connected over the period of a week was just something that I wasn't regularly doing. And I probably should have been doing it. And, uh, and yeah, so it, it, it kind of started a, an interest um, in terms of just ambient RF signals near my house. And so one of the things that I've started playing around with is like, have, have you guys heard of the uh, Hack RF uh, RTL SDR? Sure. Yeah. So I've got like a small little, uh, I've got a small little ISMI catcher for cell phones. And I've got a small little Bluetooth uh, radio that I hacked the antenna on. And so now, like the idea was, it's like, okay, well, what devices are ambiently around me every hour, right? Just pull it. Like, okay, I've got, you know, these devices live in my network or they are adjacent inside my neighbor's homes. And I really, I'm just grabbing the, the ISMI or MAC address, um, you know, from these things. I also have two Wi-Fi radios that are looking for AP probes in order to do some cross-correlation in the sense of like, if I can't catch ISMI, I can see that there's a phone that passed that's looking for like Southwest Wi-Fi, AP probes and Starbucks and whatever their home access point is. But um, 
but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to deal with like a 50 foot proximity here. And what I'm interested in are devices, not that I see every minute or every hour, but devices that I see maybe once every two days mm. or a device that I, you know, only see once every week. And one of the things that I um, was kind of really surprised about was the RF signals that come off of new vehicles, uh, uh, tire pressure sensors. Oh, wow. Literally transmit a code or a, they have a serial number that you can tag down to the vehicle itself. So you have that's a 2017 Range Rover Sport Supercharged, and it's just they have four or sorry five uh, um, of these tire pressure sensors on you know four on the wheels and one on the spare. Jeff, you're giving me ideas because I actually have uh, I've got a small collection of signal owls for those that are familiar with the pineapple products. And before the pandemic hit, I was, uh, I, I had a couple of little side projects I wanted to start working on. One of them was, again, just from a privacy perspective, I, I wanted to kind of go around just the small downtown area and and see what, what you know, just kind of passive information I could start gathering. But over time, like just track it over time and see who comes and goes within just like a two block radius of this environment based on just just some of those things. So I've got a small mesh of those, but now, now I might just load them up in the vehicle and slowly go drive around <laughs> and see what I can get. Um, yeah. Don't, don't give me any ideas. It's pandemic season. Like I got an embedded deal. My wife is really into true crime. And so during this pandemic, we've been watching nothing but like true crime documentaries on Netflix and thinking about, I'm just putting my technical hat on. I'm like, how would I catch a serial killer? If like, if Richard Ramirez, the night stalker was just like coming at my window every three days, how would I catch him? And it's, the answer is the AP probes coming from his iPhone, maybe the ISF, you know, if he's using 3G and then, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, his AirPods that he has in his pocket that are beaconing out Bluetooth signals. So, you know, again, give me more ideas. It's actually not a bad idea for a home security system because I don't have a ring because I don't like the idea Thing. of, of but if I just set up a bunch of signals on the perimeter of, of my uh, my home, even I could see when anyone was, especially at any weird hours of the night. All righty, it's a note. <laughs> Write it down. Redeploy signal owls around perimeter. <laughs> it's happening. Yeah. Um, I mean, what else? What else can we can we glean from you know these these devices that are connected to our bodies and. I mean, I, I too have, have uh, some Garmin devices. What, what, what are these companies really gathering on us? Because a lot of these things are now all also, they're also now connected to these, I'll call them SaaS platforms because, you know, you can log into them, you can log into your apps and you can, you can track your heart rates, you can track everything. You can see how many miles you ran today, the, you know, the incline. Apple Watch. Yes, yes. The mother of all IOTs. <laughs> Yeah, my my wife loves her Apple Watch. I've never, I've not owned one. I've had that little Galaxy Gear that I wore like three times. But, but yeah, the the amount of data that comes from those things is is, is starting to become jaw dropping because they have several, um, you know, they have GPS functions. They have several accelerometers and gyroscopes on them. They can tell, um, you know, just through learning on how people wear them, you know, what activities they're doing. So, you know the Apple watch and the Fitbits out there and the Garmin watches, um, you know, they'll tell you if you're like, Hey, you're hiking right now, or you're, you know, you're on a row machine, a stationary, you know, cycle. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you can use your imagination on what other data they can probably capture if people are, 
you know, wearing those devices, but they do pose kind of a privacy concern because those things are, you know, you've got to be aware that your, your heart rate's going to the cloud. Your, you know, if you've, if all of a sudden you have, you know, some sort of cardiac rhythm, you know, that data is not just sitting there on your watch, you know, telling you, Hey, go to the doctor. It's, you know, going up and getting logged. So um, I know that there's a bunch of privacy stuff that we can probably hash out, but that scares me a little bit as long as it's not protected. Can, can we dive into that a little more? Yeah. So what exactly do you mean by that? Just for some of the listeners, because, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big Apple watch person. I use it for tracking calories and mm-hmm. steps and all that kind of stuff. So I guess going to what you were just saying, how it can, because I've, I've, I've experienced that before where, you know, I'm, I'm actually doing an activity that's not what that activity actually is, but it's, it'll pop up and suggest, Hey, are you doing an outdoor run or right. It, so it, it comes from your movements that it's already recognized, even if you're not doing that, that particular um, uh, activity that's, that's concerning, but what, what does that mean? So is, is that data actually being sold? Is it, is it being used for something for apps to promote to you? I mean, I could, I could assume, I, I mean, I, I, the, we're just guessing here in terms of obviously that data is important. You can use it in a number of ways. I, you know, I, I am one, I, I like Apple. They, they usually are on the kind of the forefront of privacy. So I wouldn't see them going out and selling your telemetry data or your, your GPS data. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when you're, when you're sitting there running and it's telling you that you're cycling and it's like, oh, that's, that's not right. I'm, I'm running. You are in essence, hand slapping an AI and saying, Hey, yeah, no, you got the data wrong. Get it right. The next time type of thing that analytics data does get uploaded to, you know, their servers and in order to make the platform better and to make the analytics. But at the same time, you know, on your wrist, you've got You've got all of this GPS coordinate accelerometer, gyroscopic heart rate monitor. You know, I think the new ones have blood oxygen levels, um, but you also have a microphone and a speaker. And you know, at the same time, that microphone is then connected to your iPhone. And I mean, obviously, listeners not pick on iWatch, but there's other watches out there that connect natively to apps. And you know, those apps are in sometimes designed to listen. I mean, I think everybody's had the experience where you know they've said something like scrapbooking. And for some reason that keyword was in their phone and now they're getting scrapbooking ads on Facebook right now. So that's obviously part of the life cycle where you've got microphone, it's trying to get this data. Let's help you out by, you know, promoting services that you would like. And I imagine you could extend that to advertising in the way of like, Hey, well, he does uh, cycling a lot. Here's an ad by Peloton. Right. It is slightly worrisome. I, I recall an incident a few years ago where one of these devices had uh, they were they were leaking some data over the internet. I'm sure, sure it will happen again. This one, if I recall, was just a web app phone where they were you were able to cycle through users by just changing the that unique string at the end. But I've seen others where you know it dumps that data into an S3 bucket. Said S3 bucket is sitting wide open for anyone to gather. Um, and the salacious headline on, th- on th- that one was, you know, folks were being found found to uh, to have been cheating on their spouses and so forth based on either location data, but even heart rate data. Like it's 10 p.m. You said you were in the office. Why is your heart rate at uh, 180 degrees? That's some hard. That's some hard. <laughs> it's on the elliptical, baby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
It's like you went to the club and then you went to the Motel 6 right across the street. What's going on? And then you went to McDonald's and got a number seven. <laughs> you never eat those. Because you, you could see the, uh, the, 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 the calories in the bloodstream start thickening. <laughs> right. I, it's, I think that people are going to, I, I think there's probably going to be an awakening about just, hey, I have AirPods in my pocket. I've got an Android phone for work. I've got an iPhone for, you know, personal. I've got an iWatch, the new eyeglasses. And at the end of the day, you've got six radios on you and transmitting, you know, stuff, transmitting your position, transmitting your heart rate, um, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to close those circles. Uh, I I think that there's probably going to be an, an awakening to that. And then we're probably as a, as a, at least a society, we're probably going to decide, Hey, is this something that we really, really want or what data can we, can we really grab out of this? And that I will probably see more privacy legislation on top of that. It's probably similar to GDPR, but particularly for like, you know, biometric or, um, you know, wearable device specific. It's an interesting concept too, right? Uh, on, I think on last week's episode, or maybe it's this week's—I don't recall—but we were talking to, to, to someone else about um, consumers getting getting more control of their data and being able to sell that data, trade on that data, and that is something that exists in a kind of a proxy form today with healthcare companies, right? They'll and even car insurance companies, right? You can you can get one of those little IT devices, you can plug it into your car, get. Insurance discount. You can you can wear one of their Fitbits and get health insurance di- discounts. But it's got some negatives too, right? Like they can start discriminating against people who don't move as much and they're sedentary. They're like, ah, sorry, but you you're you've been sitting too long. Your insurance just went up two bucks. Um, so there's there's a lot to consider in terms of both getting control of our data, but in monetizing it. And uh, and when I say monetizing it. I just gave two examples of monetizing it, but you know, maybe one day we can actually get to a point where we're actively selling it instead of trading it for a, a, a reduced benefit, if you would. Um, let's switch gears a little bit, though. Let's let's just talk yeah. security for a bit. So, do we want to transition into ransomware and phishing attacks? Sure. Yeah. I mean, what? Yes. Oh. Have we seen ransomware really hit the IoT world? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I will, I mean, I, I, I have been dealing with a lot of ransomware, um, recently. Uh, and I will say that from a ransomware perspective, uh, affecting IOT devices, um, I've seen it uh, mostly on like IOMT and here I go again, picking on MRI and CAT scan machines, but you literally have $250,000 devices that are coming off the factory floor with Windows XP SP0 oh, on it, running S, like SMB1, like S, like, it, it's insane. So what you're saying is my niece could hack these things. I mean, yeah, I mean, your niece could probably trip over a laptop and hack these things. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's uh, I mean, egregious is a good word for it. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, it, it's, a, and it's a different story when you have a mass propagating piece of ransomware like WannaCry that's yeah. using SMB v1, you know, eternal blue exploits across the network. And yeah, your workstations are affected. But now this big gigantic behemoth device in the corner that, you know, sometimes doesn't even have a monitor attached to it is now infected. How do you how do you remediate something like that without doing a full OS replacement? And that's usually what happens. 
ransoming a quarter of a million dollar machine seems seems like a good return on investment if I'm a bad actor. For, well, absolutely. And I mean, that's why you see a lot of these ransomware attacks are, are, are literally just drop and runs, right? They'll, they'll get in through the most, you know, simple backdoor or, you know, especially with, with, you know, the pandemic and everybody um, putting services out on the edge to facilitate remote workforces. I mean, Shodan has been lighting up with the number of vulnerable remote desktop services that are on the edge right now. And you can literally just go drop in one of those things, install some ransomware and, you know, it's phishing. So hold on. I'm, it, it occurs to me, yep, we've got a lot more things on the edge, a lot more edge devices, just in terms of, you know, everyone went home to work and there's lots of laptops and, and those things are connected to everything and some tablets. What, what else are we seeing on the edge now? So a lot of people spun up um, Citrix, uh, like VDIs. So we yeah. saw a bunch of VDIs come on, um, VPNs, and every level of VPN. I mean, VPNs from everything from, from hey, I had a $200, $200 router that has VPN capabilities to people literally dropping in, um, you know, large eight series Palos um, to facilitate, a, you know, a now completely remote workforce. Um, a lot of database uh, controls. So um, th- there were a lot of apps that unfortunately had to extend to the edge in order to remain useful for the workforce. And so I've seen a lot of like Oracle API database stuff sitting on the edge. And uh, yeah, I mean, all that stuff, as long as you keep it patched is, is great. But at the same time, those things are hit with, you know, novel vulnerabilities twice a month. Keeping things patched is not something the security industry is really known for doing well. To a point you made before too, I mean, keeping things patched requires that you know about them also, right? I mean, we we go back to this classic game of discovery and classification and that's that's obviously near and dear to what we do, but you you, you used that word classification early on and you, you were talking about IoT devices, right? Like find it, identify it, find it, identify it. That is, that is still very much the name of this game, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, so I, I you know, and I want to make sure that I'm not selling orders just an IOT platform. It's truly like trying to figure out all both managed and unmanaged devices if we wanted to just take it up. And, you know, just from a, a communication perspective, you let, let's say that we're focused on, on like laptops and workstations inside of a, inside of a network. Um, you could do something and, and we, we obviously do this as I'm speaking about it, but um, like, let's say that you have CrowdStrike as your EDR tool. You could take all of the machines as passively over the, over the wire and say, hey, well, these are the ones that are actually talking to the Falcon backend. And here's all of the, you know, CrowdStrike can be installed on, you know, Windows, Linux, and OS X. Here are the devices that run those operating systems and here are the devices that don't have your EDR platform installed. Yeah. So being able to have that kind of deep granular level of not only what devices you have in your network, but how they're communicating and are they communicating to the things that we want them to communicate to? It's an easy story to say, oh, well, I, you know, shut down the laptop that suddenly just started communicating gigabytes worth of data to, you know, the Republic, like China or something. Um, you know, that's an easy behavioral thing, but when you, you kind of flip the script and say, Hey, well, I've got AV, EDR, I've got CASB tools on this. Are, are my tools being 
you know, essentially entitled properly uh, at a device level. I think that's extremely important as well. Um, uh, for, for our, because you, you seem as guilty as I am of this, but for our listeners, EDR, endpoint detection and response, AV, obviously, antivirus, CASV, cloud access security brokers. Um, I, I'm speaking your language all day long, but but uh, we're going we're gonna to have to throw up a glossary also for, for some of our other privacy folks. <laughs> I am no more acronyms for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. I will only speak in acronyms from here on out. <laughs> right. For God's sakes, IT is an acronym. That was a rule at SpaceX. <laughs> no acronyms because the military would come in and start throwing around all these acronyms and people were like, what are you talking about? And if <laughs> all the rules that NASA would give us from the, like they were giving us rule books from the late fifties, all filled full of acronyms. So that was a, a SpaceX mandate. No, no acronyms. Yeah, Fair enough. Three letter acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeff, there was a recent, uh, recent breach. I think a lot of people are aware of it around that third party company, Blackbaud. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your take on this and kind of just get get your opinion on, on what you think may have happened and, and who it may have affected and what it really means. Right. Well, I, I think what they dealt with is, you know, ransomware was involved, right? But it didn't seem like it was debilitating that they were able to get on top of it, which is, I will say, surprising um, given that, if once you detect ransomware on one device, it, it's usually not on just one device, uh, particularly if it's on some you know core piece of network infrastructure and it's spamming stuff out. Um, typically easy to detect, but you know you, I will say in my history, you're, you're probably de- you're dealing with multiple devices. Um, but that being said, these attackers are becoming a little bit more sophisticated. And so what I believe happened from what I read was they went in, they drop some ransomware, which is really common, right? You can make a lot of money doing that. Um, but maybe that ransomware wasn't as successful or successfully deployed throughout the network. So they stayed in and saw if they could grab some information. So you can imagine kind of the hackers of old where, hey, you, you get into the, to the network, what do you want to get, right? Like, well, let's get the passwords, right? So go grab the um, you know, the password NTDET file from Active Directory or, you know, hey, let's drop the mail spool from, you know, from the, from the exchange or, or the mail server. So, you know, just, just some information like that. And it looks like, based off of what I read, that they went in with a piece of ransomware. It probably wasn't successful. It was detected. And it was detected while they were, the attackers were still in the network. So they decided to take something and that something ended up being a bunch of personal data, not necessarily credit card data, but personal data that has, you know, addresses, telephone numbers. Um, I, 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 I didn't see the full list of, of everything that they grabbed, but those, those things are extremely valuable, um, you know, on the, on the web. You know, one of the, one of the things that I kind of collect, I would say, is um, breach passwords. Every time they show up on, you know, that used to be paste then, but, but every time that they would show up on like the dark web or some torrent site, I would just go grab them. And, you know, now, uh, you know, I think I'm into the terabytes, like a terabyte and a half of like compressed breach data, passwords, usernames, emails. And those things are incredibly powerful when you're, when you can aggregate all of that information and then search it and say, Hey, you know, this email address lost 
20 passwords over the last 20 years and all of these breaches and then data like this in terms of like if, if it was email or telephone number or address, that data just gets aggregated into those databases for those attackers. And, you know, it just gives them a little bit more mobility to break into accounts or to, you know, if they don't have the password immediately that you've reused, um, being able to reset it um, with just, you know, some of, some of the data that they have, be it telephone, um, you know, doing SMS spoofing if they wanted to get, you know, super technical um, or just, you know, address doing, you know, uh, identity theft or trying to pose as you to, in order to change an account over some social engineering technique over the phone. So um, I, I think that that is what happened. And I think they're trying to figure out how it affects uh, people um, in the way of like, obviously notifying people that have lost data, but now with just that type of personal data. And I also believe a lot of UK um, uh, UK people had had their data lost as well. The privacy um PD, the personal data that GDPR describes, was most likely uh, lost in that situation. And there's ramifications for that, right? In terms of both notification and then alerting those users in terms of GDPR typically results in those users saying, well, I don't want you to have my data anyway. So under GDPR, please remove it from your database. And you just, you end up with a post-breach, you know, I would say, homework where you now have to delete tens of thousands of users um, data after they've been notified of breach. It actually reminds me, speaking of, so the Have I Been Pwned database by uh, an old buddy of mine just went open source too, didn't it? So Troy Hunt, uh, Have I Been Pwned databases. So you no longer need to go keep collecting pet petabytes of, you can, you can go scrape his if you want that. It is uh it is terrifying just how much of that information. It's a way. So like, as long as, if you could reverse the hash, then great. But, um, but yeah, the, the ones that are, are for sale are usually just email, password, you know. Crazy. So Jeff, anything else to add that we didn't touch on that you'd love to share or? I mean, I just like talking about security. I could honestly. <laughs> um, I mean, at the end of the day, like it's a, it's a passion of mine. So, you know, it's, it's really easy for me to be employed with a passion. So, um, I don't know. It's like, I can talk about the whole thing if you want me to. Good points. Well, let's go into our fun segment. Last segment. Okay. Do some fun questions. Uh, you already know one of them. So maybe you have one on mine, but what, what's your favorite movie and why? I, you know what? I, I, I told you, I, I, this was the question that I struggled with the most. Ask me security. So let, let me be more specific then. What was your favorite 90s movie or TV show? I don't know. I'm a big Steven Seagal fan, unfortunately. <laughs> it was big in the 90s. Well, I mean, like I, Under Siege was pretty good. Um, I mean, I, from an 80s movie perspective, I'm all day, uh, like, Big Trouble, Little China. Um, Judges will allow it. Gordon, <laughs> my favorite Christmas movie. And probably my, probably my favorite, like, movie film is Die Hard. I watch yeah. Die Hard so much. Yeah, yeah. Now the judges will allow all of those entries. Yes. <laughs> I, I think the perfect movie, I started thinking about this the other day. I was like, the perfect movie, because I would just sit down – just easy to watch. And uh, 
city slickers. Like I, I kind of arrived at like city slickers is kind of like a perfect movie for me. Cause there's like so many different throwbacks. It's a Western, but it's not a Western. It's a guy struggling in his, and maybe it's just because I'm about to turn 40, but it's a guy, <laughs> uh, you know, almost turning 40. I don't know. I, I've been watching city slickers and Sli- city slickers to the uh, search for Corley's gold uh, a lot recently. All, anything Billy Crystal all, again, the, ju- the judges will allow it, allow that entry. Yes. Even if it's monsters Inc. I'm all for it. Absolutely. So I'm curious, what would you choose between Sopranos or Game of Thrones? Oh man, I Game of Thrones all day. Even with the horrible, horrible landing, yes. Oh man. I so I (laughs) I am going to be purchasing the 4K Blu-ray set when it comes out. I think it drops in like (laughs) November or December. And I'm I'm rewatching the whole thing. Um, but yeah, oh, I, I, I loved that show. And that was good. This is why like, I live my life on DVR. Like I wait for everyone else to do it and then see if I want to hit play. Like <laughs> now I'm going to fast forward through that one. <laughs> well, they just options. And I fear that yeah. the, the two guys, right. I, I, I think they had delusions of, of that star Wars franchise in their face. And they're like, we need to like, uh, how does how does Game of Thrones end? Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't want to ruin it for anybody. <laughs> just haphazard. Well, it it hasn't ended because George refuses to end it. So, right. well, <laughs> right. But I mean, like it ended for the cast and for the show. George R. R. Martin, he just can't write a book. I mean, he can write books, obviously, but like he can't finish this book to save his life. It seems. <laughs> Well, it seems like a lot of people struggle to have a really good ending. I mean, there's a lot of shows that end badly. Right. Dexter ended terribly. Um, there's other ones, but um, so what were you like in high school? Did you wear like Jinkos? Were you goth? Did you do like nerdy stuff? What, what, I want to know what's going on. Uh, I was, I mean, I was, I mean, uh, I, I, I played guitar since I was uh, 13. So I was in jazz band. Uh, I was in Science Olympiad, Electronics Club, um, Chess Club. I was on Varsity Football. I was a right tackle. And, Everything, uh, man. Well, so that was my dad. He was like, he was like, oh man, this computer stuff ain't gonna work out. So you, <laughs> you know. And uh, but I, know, I wasn't like goth or anything. Like I, I, I remember this. I had an economics class in high school, which was awesome. Um, looking back on it. And uh, I was really into like Metallica, mm-hmm. the shirts or anything. But I remember just the dumbest answer where they're like, what three albums would you bring on a deserted island? And I'm like, <laughs> Injustice for All. And uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, looking back, I hated myself in high school. And, uh, but yeah, no, I was really into, I was really into computers. I had, um, I had a kind of a computer crew that we, uh, that we kind of like, rolled deep on. So um, it was really funny. So when I joined high school, I actually petitioned my high school along with these two other guys um, to bring back the coding class because my freshman year was going to be the first year that they weren't going to allow this like coding elective. And I think they were doing like Fortran. Like it was sort of really old language, but what they ended up doing for us is they gave us a period of computer class that we got to kind of migrate around the school um, you know, helping teachers with printers and things like that. But 
at the end of the day, I mean, we had network access, we were wiring the school. Um, I had more access than a lot of the teachers did to the, to the, to <laughs> them. And yeah, it was fun. And a, a bunch of my friends were into like um, the phone stuff. So they were into, you know, phone freaking and, and things like that. So at the end of the day, you know, they were the ones giving me my, my BBS access. So it all worked out. Awesome. Somehow magically Jeff got straight 5.0s, even though it only went up to four. <laughs> well, I mean, got to keep the grades on point, right? Uh, I, I will say that uh, in uh, the video game that almost like ruined me from a, from a uh, grades perspective was Ultima Online. Like when Ultima Online came out, it was like the first MMO RPG, and I was hooked. Yeah, it was like that was like two years before EverQuest, and yeah, I two friends to EverQuest. See, you're yeah. a PC gamer. I mean, I've always been a gamer, so like I, I do play a lot of PC games. But I mean, I I have literally owned if you I've literally owned every console. I mean, and even Same. the consoles like 3DOs, CDIs, <sighs> um, Gamecast. I'm a big gamer. I've always, I've always gamed. So, but I, I will say that most, most of my gaming today happens on PC. Lost two years of my life to Evercrack. Remember there was, uh, there was, what was the name of that, that, that app? There was a Linux app uh, that allowed you to sniff the traffic going between the, your EverQuest lap uh, machine and the server. So you could camp out where all of the spawns were. And I was like, tell you. I killed that knew how to run the thing. Yeah. I remember that. Uh, absolutely. I mean, because it'd also give you like proximity for people that were around you. Yes. Like, yeah. yes. You got all of the data, all of the data. <laughs> <laughs> Better living through computer apps. I mean, I'm going to camp a spawn for 48 hours. I'm going to need a little help. <laughs> <laughs> I remember writing, uh, I remember writing macros for Ultima online where I, um, like there was a, a way where it, in order to get your hiding up, um, you, you hid and then there was 10 seconds delay between then when you can actually hide again. Yeah. But if you clicked on a boat um, dock thing where the boat comes out of the water or whatever, you just click on that, it actually resets the counter. And so I just wrote a macro that just did that over and over and over again. I woke up, you know, eight hours later, I'm like, oh, I got a hundred in hiding. Great. And uh, oh, I mean, server side stuff. Like there was uh, there was some crazy hackers for Ultima Online that somehow made dyes uh, the same color as uh, the shadows in the game. So if you dyed your clothes the same colors as the shadow from an RGB perspective, yep. you're invisible. And uh, yeah, all, I mean that stuff was fun. But that was like ninety eight, ninety seven. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. So in high school. Okay. Hey, nothing wrong with that. The nerds are laughing now. <laughs> um, it gave me so much crap because I would bring this luggable laptop. It was a Toshiba laptop that had no battery. You had to plug it into the wall. Um, it did have a modem on it. It was, uh, it was a, like a 24 uh, um, running modem. Oh orange monochrome screen i would bring those to like <laughs> and they're like what are you doing with this and i'm like i'm ircing that's right just, Duh. Yeah. don't make me slap you with a trout <laughs> <laughs> <Duh>. <laughs> so 
Uh, what's the funniest thing that's happened to you since the pandemic? Oh man, the pandemic's been rough. Um, the funniest thing that's happened to me, um, or the strangest. I mean, I so I was mowing the lawn this 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 past weekend, and I've got ring cameras all over my house. Um, so like I'm 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 IOT'd up uh, in my house, and uh, and yeah. So there was like I'm mowing the grass in the backyard. And there is a, like, there's a couple grasshoppers out there and I'm loading the, the grass clippings into a bag. And I feel this, I thought was a, probably a grasshopper or something crawling up my leg. And I looked down and it was a damn like tarantula sized spider. And I screamed and I, I did a, I, I, <laughs> I'm in a seizure. If I like, I, I, my insurance probably would have gone up if I was wearing Apple watch, but like I slapped it off my leg and then just ran around and like looked for it and slumped it. And here's the thing that is now captured in a race video. It just, it made it, it made it funnier. Like it made it real, realer. Like, Oh my God, I just freaked out because this giant spider and like, Oh, it's on, it's on an Amazon cloud instance right now and I go down. Did you post it on not like 17 octaves? I was like I was like Carrie whistle register. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, I don't know how to tell you this, but tarantula sized spiders, those are tarantulas. <laughs> I I know spiders, it was wolf spider, and I swear it was like that big. Yeah, those huge. Yeah, just call those tarantulas. <laughs> as big as it, it was a <laughs> as a tarantula <laughs> did you post that up you got to go back and watch arachnophobia just uh oh like john goodman was great in that film yes. right? did you did you post that to uh neighborhood um ring neighborhood i should like so i live in downtown denver and uh like really close to city park and everything and like my facebook and next door have like the nextdoor.com has just been ridiculous everybody's just kind of angry at each other and everything so maybe maybe i should just as a like a light-hearted i was attacked fighter uh, you know watch a a 220 pound man scream and run around the backyard like his hair's on fire so or just yeah i was just say change change the title to there's a giant tarantula on the loose in the neighborhood yeah. <laughs> so stand on the lookout <laughs> <laughs> oh man well jeff this has been great really appreciate you coming on and for what you do and the passion behind you i love the nerd because i think we're all nerds in our own way so i really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and, and your background and your expertise gabe do you have anything yeah, no, it's, I'll say the same. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I love having folks that have that level of passion about what they do. It's always good to kick it with, with an old school hacker as well, too. Um, where can folks find you online? Where, where, where can we hit you up? Uh, is order, order, I apologize, is order on uh, on any social media? And how about Jeff also? Yeah, so uh, order.net. We just launched a new website. Um, we are on YouTube and, uh, um, at order on, um, on Twitter. Let me make sure on that. Um, I am, uh, proxy Noya, uh, on Twitter and, uh, yeah. That's awesome. Great.
We'll make sure we get those show notes as well. Make make sure you send those over. Yeah, I'll get them. I'll make sure they're in there. And And our Twitter is not at order. It's at order of things. All one word. I like it. I like it. I like the things. O-R-D-R. O-R-D-R-O-F-T-H-I-N-G-S. Got it. Got it. Insta follow. Insta follow. Done. Done and done. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. We will uh, hope to have you hope, hope to have you back on in the future. I would love to I would love to do it. I love I love the podcast format. Well, we'll be uh we'll be able to uh just call you a recurring guest. We'll just do Perfect. That. You just let me know. 80s movies, you know. <laughs> I'll have more for you. We'll break out our, our we'll break out our uh Wi-Fi pineapples. Like I've got yes. Yeah, <laughs> in the in the in the closet over here. Yeah. I've, I've Does that phone make calls? <laughs> I don't. I, so I have it disconnected right now just for the webcast or whatever. But yeah, I've got a, um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's called an OBS. So it's a um, uh, voice over IP uh, device that also provides power. And I just have a Google voice line attached to it. That's awesome. Very nice. For the listeners, it's a, basically a pay phone on his wall in his, in his house. Is that your house? Yeah. This is my house. This is my, this is my office. Awesome. More invaded of privacy because you're not using a background. Thanks. <laughs> it's awesome. School ring. Like I, I grew up in Atlanta and when they decommissioned all of the payphones in Atlanta, I, I grabbed this one. So this one was put in place in 1996 um, in, for, the, for the Olympics in, in Atlanta. So Bell South, all of the original stuff. Um, I even mounted it. Like I didn't know, but like uh, payphones have to be mounted at a certain height. Uh, for like the the handset and the keys, um, and so like I measured everything and made sure. Awesome! Yeah. awesome. Old school cool. freak is out there also rejoicing. Nice. <laughs> I'm going to send you a blue box for Christmas just for that. Please. Please. <laughs> nice. I'll, well, send you, I'll send you a picture of me in high school with all of my 2600 shirts on. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I I will not send you one with mine if only because I refuse to have been photographed with it. But oh man. We've covered this in a couple of other stories. I, I, I used to go to the to the twenty six hundred meetings back in the old city building because I kind of grew up in the city. So nice. Well, I like me getting hired out of high school. Like it was. I mean, the reason I did is because I was in uh, on Fnet on Pound Hack, and uh, that's where Chris Klaus was. Yeah, talking about internet internet scanner in, in Georgia. So definitely gonna have to do this. Thanks again for tuning in to Privacy Please. This podcast is brought to you by Spirion, protecting what matters most. Join us next week and every week as we delve into the intriguing world of security and privacy. You can email us at privacyplease at spirion.com and hit us up on our Twitter at privacyplspod. If you want to read more into these topics, check out our blogs on spirion.com. Again, I'm Cameron Ivey an all-around decent guy. Until next time.